Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hi, I'm Chinny Coupe, Head of Partnerships at LTV Plus, and welcome to another episode of How We Solve. Today, we have our special guest, Saad German, who is the CEO and co-founder of Rocketship. Also joining us today, we've got Noe Garcia, who is the partner and vice president of growth at LTV Plus. Hi, Noe, and welcome. Hey, Chile. How are you doing? Happy to be here and super excited to interview Saad. Great. And of course, our special guest, Saad Juman, who is co-founder and CEO at Rocketship.io. Hi, Saad. Hey, Chile. Hey, Noe. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, currently, you're a co-founder and CEO of Rocketship.io. But, you know, you have a great story. Very interesting story before that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got here? Yeah, currently, my role is as co-founder, CEO of Rocketship.io. My journey here is very entrepreneurial. I've been through several chapters of my entrepreneurial career. I actually wouldn't know how to work in a corporate environment or a larger company. I would probably get fired. Most certainly, I would get fired. My wife reminds me of this constantly. And I've been in the entrepreneurial startup kind of world probably for the last 25 years. I'm 44 now, so you can kind of do the math as to when it all started. That's amazing. I actually recently had a conversation with a close buddy. He's very entrepreneurial like myself. And he helped me realize that, that exact point. Somebody asked him, he's like, so why did you uh, sell your business? And he said, well, I was just a bad employee. That's what he said. And so I had to do my own thing. So I totally can relate with you. I think it's such a common story in entrepreneurship where the fact that, you know, we just, yeah, we don't fit in anywhere else. So we make our own thing kind of happen. That's amazing. Absolutely. So today we're going to be focusing on, which I'm very excited for. I've been part of a few different startups, had an acquisition in the past, and you have had more experience with this. And I'm really excited to hear more about this is that how do you own your own exit? That was the part that really kind of caught my eye. What does that mean? Tell me a little bit about that. My last business was sold in 2018. I had the luxury of taking some time off and a lot of reflection. And aside from hanging out with family and sleeping and resting and recovering, because that journey for that tech company was over 17 years, I was kind of reflecting on what did I do differently? Because I got a lot of outreach from entrepreneurs asking me, can you show me how to do an exit like that. And I thought to myself, well, I'm no expert on exits necessarily. Why are these people reaching out to me? And I never paid much heed to it. And the request kept on coming in. So I thought to myself, I've said, well, I must've done something differently. And I think for me, I'm kind of average at most things, but I have a couple of superpowers, I guess. One of them is seeing patterns in things. And I think it's because Growing up, I did a lot of different things that my siblings weren't into. You know, I played the piano for many years. I played basketball at a decently high level. I, I did a bunch of different things. And I think as a youngster, that helps your brain develop in different ways. So I can see little patterns in business and in life sometimes. And then I started to think, well, exit. Well, I've always owned my own exit at each chapter of my career, at least. And what that means is proactively deciding to change. Sometimes that means a pivot or moving on before any kind of drastic, dramatic, negative thing ends up happening. It wasn't just the tech exit, but even the chapter before that, I was in a, at one point, a pretty dark place in my life. 
it was out of alignment for me in terms of what I was doing for a living. And I decided to walk away from seemingly what most people saw as considerable amount of money and a fun lifestyle to go into nothingness to figure out what I was going to do next. But again, I guess that proactive approach to say, hey, you know what? In my heart, my gut says, I need to move on now. This chapter is closing. I need to make that change and move on to the next thing. And there's a technique to doing that and figuring out what the next thing is as well. I love that, man. I love that. In my eyes, and to simplify a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of like gambling. Not that I gamble too much, but craps. You know, I remember playing craps and then, you know, you have that end point where you end up losing everything you want. You kind of like say, hey, let me just choose to get out of this. What's next? Like maybe it's going out to dinner. Maybe, you know, if you're in Vegas, it's dancing or hanging out with the family, whatever it's going to be, right? But that's a little bit of what it reminds me of and just being conscious and awake and being able to make those decisions for yourself. That's amazing, man. And you've experienced this in different parts of your life. You say, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the first major one, if I go all the way back before my the tech venture that I sold in 2018, in the early 2000s, I was younger. I was in my 20s. And at first, I had a love of music. I always had a love of music. So I became a DJ. I'm old. So DJ back then meant two turntables with vinyl records and a mixer. So I was a DJ at university, college. And at the end of the night, the event promoter would pay me. And I thought to myself, that's where the entrepreneurial bug is there. I thought, he's paying me. So he's making more money than me. I'll become an event promoter. So I became an event promoter. And the parties got really large, thousands of people. And then my head of security one night, because we had to have security to secure the venue and the event and everything else properly every night, he would tell me that you should have your own venue. Own venue? What do you mean by that? So then he took me to see this. This is in uh, the city of Toronto, which, which I still live in. He took me to see this abandoned little building that used to be a pub back in the day. And it was abandoned. And to fast track that story, within a year, I ended up opening the first club that I had. It was right timing because Toronto in the winter, it's a cold place. One of the things it didn't have back then were rooftop patios. So we were the first ones to build this big rooftop patio. And I ended up opening up multiple ones over the next several years. However, I got into it to have fun, to hang out with friends, to play music and everything else. Especially within a large city like Toronto, there was this underbelly of the city that I wasn't really aware of at that time that lurked around that nightlife a little bit. So they became more and more prevalent within my life. And essentially, at a certain point, I felt like I looked around and I thought, what happened here? I'm kind of working for these people now, and I really didn't want to. So it became increasingly dangerous for me. I felt mentally, even physically at times, but it was tempting to stay because I was making a lot of money. I mean, for a kid in his 20s, I was making probably, if I think back then, and everything in that world is cash, $50,000 a weekend. That's great money for anyone. But I didn't feel like I was doing anything positive in my life. I didn't feel like I'm actually moving the needle further. And I had an aha moment that kind of like jerked me to my core. And that's when I decided I am going to leave. I'm just going to like leave cold turkey. And I left. And then there was a whole other technique that I uncovered as to me figuring out what it is I'm going to do next. If you were to go back today, what would you say to that 20-something-year-old in terms of any advice you'd give that person? Well, you know what? To answer that question, I can maybe tell a story because the wake-up call came from a younger kid. That was my 20s. If I go back to when I was 13 years old, 
my mom encouraged me to start a basketball league. Basketball was my first love in life. I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't really into girls. I was into one girl called Spalding, which was my basketball. And that went everywhere with me. But I grew up in a, a rough neighborhood in Toronto and all the basketball leagues disappeared in my neighborhood. So she encouraged me to start my own basketball league within the mosque that we would go to in, in Toronto. So I started that basketball league. It became quite large. A few hundred kids would come there every year. And that's where I learned about business. I mean, we had new immigrants coming. I remember from Sri Lanka, from Somalia, from all over that they could play basketball. They just didn't have money. So my mom said, well, you got to figure out how to fund the league. So she taught me about corporate sponsorships and all, all this stuff. So fast track that. And in that league, I wasn't just a player. I was a coach as well for younger kids. Fast track the chapter I'm telling you about now at the nightclubs. There was one night when a kid, kid meaning like younger than me a little bit, was trying to get my attention. I waved him over. He comes over to me and he was highly intoxicated on many different things, most likely. But he just grabbed me and he said, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, man, I, re I remember you. And we had like this moment where it's like I traveled back in this timeless place. And I remembered I was his basketball coach. Wow. Right? And he said, I'll tell you verbatim what he said. He said, brother, he goes, we used to look up to you so much as our basketball coach. But now we all think you're the man. So to decode wow. that little bit of slang, we mm. were the kids in the neighborhood it came up from, right? And they all think I'm the man. They meant that they respect me because they think I'm living this Tony Montana, Scarface kind of life. He gave me a tap and then he was, he was gone. He just disappeared. I didn't see him again. But those are those one little clues in life. It comes across entrepreneurs, human beings, everything else. Those little clues come across. And many of us say, oh, I'm just going to shrug it off. You know what? That's weird. I haven't seen that guy in a while. You kind of move on. I'm not like that. I wasn't like that. That thing stuck with me. And that night I started thinking, and then for the next few months, I started thinking, do I want to be the basketball coach guy? Or do I want to be Tony Montana? Which path am I going along here? And what do I want to be known for? And I realized like in my gut, it's the basketball coach guy. Mm. So that's when I walked away. I walked away from that life. And in that world, it's different from my tech exit. There's no buyouts. There's no exit strategy. The exit strategy is the people that ran that world at that time, if you're leaving, they're taking what you had. And that's what it is. So I knew that going into it, right? So I met with them. I said, I'm out. I'm leaving. They said, okay, good luck to you. And they now owned everything I had. Then I, I started back at ground zero. So I would tell that 20-something-year-old kid, listen to your gut, listen to your heart, listen to that voice inside of you, because that always guides you in the right direction, more so than any podcast, no offense to this podcast, book, speaker, thought leader, influencer, all of that stuff. Yeah, except for this podcast. Yeah, for sure. But that's a great point. We want to listen to ourselves. But then there's also that catch-22, which is like, hey, Saad, you've been through this, right? I've once heard that you can't teach anybody something, right? You have to lead by example. And so I think things like these podcasts and, you know, sharing those experiences really do help you listen to that inner self a little bit. Don't you think that really does help in creating confidence to listen to that inner voice? Yeah, I think these are good reminders. A lot of things we hear in podcasts and books and everything else, the truth is we may have heard those things before, but these types of mediums help us to get better at the thing that we felt we knew. You may not learn something new, but it's like, okay, I can now deepen my knowledge even further. Yeah, I'm always so curious. I'm in that practice too, right? Just like listening to my inner voice and see if the path I'm in is the right path, just checking in periodically. And I think it's always something we want to do. 
especially in startups, right? Every six months or so, I'm always like, all right, put my head up a little bit, see where things are going, and then lean back into that. You also touched a little bit on the meditation piece. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's become a big part of my life. The arc of that meditation journey happened right after I left that chapter of, of the nightclubs. I moved back home. I moved back home in my mom's house, which was eating humble pie, right? So you're going from, you know, driving an M3 BMW to having a penthouse condo to doing all the stuff and you give it all up and you're back to ground zero. So the first thing I ended up doing was I wasn't very religious or anything else at that point. The community center I grew up at was this mosque in a place called Scarborough, which is like the rough part of Toronto. So I ended up going back to the mosque one night shortly after I, I moved back home at my mom's place. And I waited for everyone to leave. And then I kind of like quietly went in, I found a caretaker and he knew me, he was older and he knew me growing up. And I said, hey, can I ask you for a favor? When you lock up tonight, can you just leave me in here? Right? He goes, you know, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm not gonna vandalize the place, just leave me here. And that's, you know, around 9 p.m. at night. And I said, when you come back in the morning for the morning prayer, I said, I'm not gonna pray, I'm just gonna leave. And I'll, I'll quickly leave before everyone gets here. So he allowed me to do that. So I sat there and it's just a big open carpeted area. I sat there and in silence, just in silence. I don't know why there was no meditative practice I grew up with or anything else. I just sat there and I started asking this one sentence, but not out loud, just like in my heart. I kept on saying, show me the path of excellence I'm supposed to take in order to make a difference in this world. Show me the one path of excellence I'm supposed to take. And I kept on asking that. I left that night and then I went back the following night and the following night. And I did that for almost 10 months. I don't know why, I just did it for almost 10 months. And somewhere around month three or four, the communication became two-way in a way. I kept on getting this intuition, this hunch, this flash that, okay, if you're gonna get a second chance, it's gonna be in healthcare. You're gonna impact people's health. That manifested itself into the startup that I was going to start. And it was a health tech company within that particular space. But that time, that 10 months, that was meditation. That was meditative. That meditative practice led to me years later adopting a style of meditation that I would become acquainted with through my martial arts career. I've, I've done martial arts since I was a little kid and I used to compete and all that. I adopted a Chinese style of meditation and then it was very similar when I'm in that zone meditating. It's very similar to what was happening for those 10 months in the mosque. But my tip for people that are not into meditation is not to necessarily adopt any particular technique or app or anything else. I think that there is probably something that we all did when we were in the sixth grade, maybe 12 years old or so, that was completely joyous. So much joy you got from doing that thing and you would just lose track of time. Some people, it could be video games. I don't know, maybe back in the day you played Super Mario Brothers or Mega Man you're playing that video game and you just lose track of time. For me, it was shooting free throws. Even to this day, I mean, I have a driveway outside and a hoop on my driveway and in my neighborhood. People probably wonder all the time, why is this man in his 40s outside just shooting free throws all the time? Because I lose track of time, I can hear my own voice, and I'm just shooting and kind of listening to myself. That's interesting. For me, that's running. But I find it just kind of clears my mind. and I know what I need to get done. It kind of just rearranges everything in my mind when I go on a nice long run. So I can totally relate with that. I'd like to apply it to your listeners, though, like if there are entrepreneurs listening to this with startups as well. This is not just an abstract idea. It's an actual tool because mm. you can take that disconnect time to actually solve a lot of problems. So, for example, 
one practice at the last tech company, and now I'm doing this with, with Rocket Chip regularly, once a week, so one time a week, for me, it takes time to work up to this. I will sit in a room with no stimulus, no computer, no phone or anything else, dark, sit in a chair, turn out the light, and I will focus my mind on the business, let's say. I will just think about the business. And this is a practice, actually, that I've read that many Asian entrepreneurs do. And it's my think time where I just think about, okay, what's going on with Rocketship? How's the new version of the product going? What do we have to do with client success? What do we have to do with sales, right? I'm just thinking. And the gleams that you get out of that hour, it's phenomenal. But you've got to move past the point of being bored. You'll be bored. Then you'll be pissed off with yourself for doing this because you feel like you're wasting time. And then you'll get to the point of saying, aha, there's something here. So that disconnect time to focus on things really, really helps. A mentor of mine brought this to my attention in my last company when I was contemplating giving a chunk of equity to somebody that was coming into the company. And I knew I was going to be talking to this person about this chunk of equity. So I went to my mentor, very spiritual person, great business, great family. And he said, have you done your technique about this issue? I said, no. He goes, go sit in that room. And now visualize that he is sitting across from you and visualize that you're almost becoming the person you're going to have this negotiation with and see what comes to you. And you know what happened? I did that. And the amount of equity, which I can't disclose, came to me that he would ask for. I had this idea. And then when we had the discussion, I said, so what is it that you're looking for? And he said, I'm looking for X. And it was what I visualized. And I said, okay. He goes, what do you mean? Okay. I said, okay. I said, that's what it's supposed to be. Let's go. You're part of the company. So there are different applications of this in, in entrepreneurship. You also talk about listening to what's next in your chapter, I think. And you say, you know, that comes from hunches, flashes, intuition, whatever you want to call it. Can you tell us a bit more about that? In terms of what to do next in one's career or business? Exactly. Yeah. I think that quieting down leads to that as well. So that's kind of using a bit of the gut, the heart a little bit. But we can't divorce the mind completely. You got to marry that up with the mind as well. So the other thing to bring into this is also the concept of cycles. So in every career, if somebody's watching this and they have a career, they're not an entrepreneur, maybe they're an intrapreneur, or for every entrepreneur, there are certain cycles. So for me, for example, I realized in my time off after I sold that company in 2018, I played around with stuff. I did some angel investing and I still do. And I did coaching and advising and board membering and all this other stuff. And then I realized I'm not done yet. I have probably two or three more cycles left of starting and birthing ventures. And once Rocketship is done, however long that takes, five, seven years, whatever it is, then I know I have another cycle. After that, I'm not quite sure. I might have to switch the game up a little bit. But I think acknowledging how many cycles you have left is a really important thing because that lets you know if you've got to switch completely to something else, or maybe you have more cycles left in you. I love that. I can totally relate with that. This is actually my fourth, I'm going to call it a startup, but fourth time around. And each time has been completely different. Each time has been something new I learned. But the whole idea of cycles is actually something new that actually came up during this conversation in my current venture. So let's say, you know, you know that you have one more cycle left, maybe, or two. You know you, you got more to come. Or maybe you're done after this, right? Like, how do you position yourself different? Like, what's the importance of it? It's important to stay fresh, to stay creative, right? If not, you, you atrophy, you wither away, you become complacent. It's a very dangerous thing. In my world, I never knew the term second-time founder. So 
for a rocket ship, people are like, oh, you're a second time founder. You know, can we invest in that? Because there was this great success that last time and they want to ride along on this one. And I'm like, okay, second time founder. So then I started looking at my colleagues that are also second time founders that had great exits. And, and I started seeing this concept of cycles is so interesting because I see a lot of people that hit it out of the park the last time. And in fact, they should be doing it again, but they're afraid. They know they have X amount of cycles left, but they're afraid to go in all in on a venture and try it again. So then complacency sets in, right? They become a professional board member, right? Hopping from board meeting to board meeting to board meeting, doing stuff, feeling important. I'm speaking negatively about that only within the context of somebody that in their heart, they know that they have a few entrepreneurial cycles left. Now, having said that, there are people that they've done their cycles as an entrepreneur, and now they're ready to contribute in different ways. So I think it's it's knowing who you are and kind of being true to yourself. It's like when Michael Jordan retired the first time and then went to play baseball and then he came back. He's like, no, nah, I, I got a few more cycles left here. And do you think it, it has to do then with, I think actually you said it, it's fear-based, right? They know how hard it was the first time or second time they did it. And it's like jumping back into that and facing those fears, which is the biggest challenge, I guess. Absolutely. And yeah, you, you got to be daring sometimes. You know, I look at people like Jimmy Ivey and Dr. Dre and the whole Beats journey. They doubled down and went all in on that venture, right? They weren't dibbling and dabbling for the most part and many other things just to kind of play it safe. Yeah. And so I do have one question for you. How do you change or move from something that you've had success with? Well, I think based on my experience, you need a little bit of rest. You need as much space as you can afford between chapters. So it might be a few weeks, you need at least two weeks, or it might be, in my case, it was a year between the last venture to Rocketship. But you need that space to kind of let all of the entrepreneurial or work muscles rest. I've met friends that have had great success in an exit and they said, hey, where did you go? I said, what do you mean? I said, you disappeared for a year. I said, yeah. And I said, I heard you started this and this. They said, well, I wish I took the time. I said, why? And most of the time, it was a different version of, I would have had better perspective as to what to do next or how to do the same thing better in this particular chapter. So the rest is important. But then the next thing is, you've got to look inside for the motivation to drive hunger. Because let's say you had success in the past, and that success led to money not being a motivator anymore. So money's not a motivator. So you don't need money for your lifestyle anymore. That's covered. For many people, that could lead to complacency, rust setting in, or just laziness. And I think you've got to dig within yourself to figure out what the motivation is going to be to do that next thing. And you've got to manufacture constraints, barriers, techniques to drive the hunger. You've got to be hungry and humble again. Because if you're coming at it from like, I've been successful, I know everything, you know what, you're not going to be hungry enough to do that next thing. And that hunger is such a requirement. I mean, if I think back to my journey, for the last venture, we were hungry, we tried to sell our software for the health tech venture in Canada, where I live first, no one would buy it. And then we realized the United States was our market, but we didn't have any money. So we would have to only sell to clients in upstate New York. So then we had a first couple of clients there, but then our third client was in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's hunger. We drove from Toronto to Nashville, slept in a minivan, did whatever we had to do, drove all the way back. That's hunger. So you got to find ways in the next chapter to 
manufacture the hunger while also bringing along all the lessons and wisdom you learned before. One of my mentors, he's from the sports world, professional basketball world, but he told me last year that the next venture, you can't do it the 23-year-old way. Huh. You got to do it the 43-year-old way. I'm like, yeah, that's right. We're on the same page here. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank you, Sal. That was extremely um, insightful. So in closing, I wondered, do you have any books, tools, or resources that you recommend? There are a few that are fresh and top of mind. So maybe I can talk about the ones that I actually reference and go back to. So we've launched Rocketship, new SaaS-based software company. In doing so, I've had to go back to my library and pull out books that I used in the past. Having said that, I'm also open, completely open and going to younger entrepreneurs to learn about what are you doing? How are you running your company? How are you tracking KPIs? Because this is what I did before and I'm trying to learn from them and map it to what I know. And I'm not taking for granted that I know everything and what I did before is going to work this time around. But in terms of some books, one classic that I try to reread, I used to reread every year because I'd get something different from it every time, but I haven't read it, to be honest, in about three years, is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's probably a little over 100 years old. That book has allegedly led to the most amount of wealth being created in entrepreneurs over the last century or so. So if you haven't read it, I'd recommend just reading the thing and just trusting me and just doing whatever it says. That's one book. It's about mindset. And then in terms of venture, like some tactical books I've recently revisited, one was Blue Ocean Strategy. So when we're launching Rocketship, just contemplating, are we getting into a red ocean where all the competitors are? Are we creating something truly novel and a category like a blue ocean? So blue ocean strategy is one. I reread recently a blueprint to a billion. That was the book that we mapped very closely our last software journey off of. It's a very tactical book detailing the qualities and the things that companies that get to a billion dollar market cap do. So reading blueprint to a billion is, is key. And then the last two books that I feel entrepreneurs need to read these days because many people are creating products and solutions in a vacuum, and they're not actually creating products and solutions that address a real true pain for a customer out there. So they create this thing and they're falling in love with the product, but they're not falling in love with the problem. So to kind of orient you with that mindset, there's a Harvard professor called Clayton Christensen, and he's got a methodology called Jobs to be Done. And then there's a cool little book. It's called The Mom Test. I have it around here somewhere because I'm, I'm highlighting it and rehighlighting it and everything else. But the mom test is great because it teaches you how to go to a sampling of potential clients or actual clients and question them in an intelligent way to get real data to use for your business. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you also do some coaching and speaking and other bits and pieces aside from rocket ship. Is that correct? When I get time, I do that each month, do a bit of advising and coaching of entrepreneurs. So that's been fun. Most of the coaching, speaking, and writing is anchored around my little philosophy of own your exit, because I think it's the nuts and bolts of that. It's, it's a little bit different for some entrepreneurs once they actually grasp it. Awesome. And how do people get in touch with you? I'm more active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there at Saad Juman. I don't use Twitter or Facebook that often. I do have a presence there, but it'll just link you to LinkedIn. I'm trying to write more of my ideas around own your exit in a long form way on my Substack blog as well. Awesome. So thank you ever so much. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you. And Noe, thank you too. Thank you for sharing those insights. It's been fantastic. Thank you both for having me. I appreciated it. 
Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.